Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 33, the Jesus, John Belushi, Chris Farley, St. Catherine of Siena episode. Thursday, February 14th, 2019. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. If you have plans with your significant others tonight, I hope you enjoy them. If you're anti-Valentine's Day and you're going out and doing something else, or even if you're just staying at home and eating a pint of ice cream in bed like Ben Stiller at the end of Dodgeball, then I hope you enjoy doing that too. There's always a lot of pressure on me today because my fiance's birthday is also today on Valentine's Day, so it's double duty for me, but at the same time, it's just one day of the year when I really have to step up to the plate, so maybe that's better? I don't know. Either way, it's good to be back here with a fresh new pod for all of you. My last episode was almost two weeks ago, and last week was the first time I took a break from releasing a Doggy Juice pod since I started doing this at the beginning of last September. Uh, it was right after the Super Bowl, so it was the perfect time for a little break, but now the football is officially over. I want to bring the focus in on college basketball, so I'm back and ready to go. New episode every week at least moving forward, and uh, we're going to really dive into college hoops, my favorite sport, as we make our way closer to March Madness. Anyway, um, here on episode 33, I'm going to dive right into some quick hitters. Then I'll give you the current top 10 college basketball teams according to the Doggy Juice model. And then I'll jump into some college basketball handicapping techniques. And then we'll finish with some best bets for the upcoming games. All right, let's get right to it. Time for some quick hitters. Okay, let's get it going. There's a new Showtime documentary called Action that premieres next month on March 24th. I've known about this doc for some time now, but they officially made the announcement this week. Basically, it's going to cover professional bettors, bookies, odds makers, and other people involved in the sports betting industry and profile them uh, throughout the 2018-2019 NFL season. And it's also going to basically touch on changes to the entire industry since PASPA was overturned in May of last year. There's been a bit of pushback and a bit of an outcry by many who are involved in the sports betting industry because a lot of the talent that's being profiled by, in the documentary are scumbag touts. Uh, Vegas Dave comes to mind. He's the perfect example. He's he's the ultimate scumbag tout. He, ironically, he pled guilty last month to using fake uh, false Social Security numbers in Nevada to place bets at Sketchball. But my boy Bill Crackman is on it, and Dave Koken and other stand-up guys will be on there too. So it's going to be a must-watch next month for any fan of the sports betting industry. Duke, with a historic comeback the other night over Louisville. Unless you were under a rock, you're aware of this one. Duke was down 23 points uh, in the middle of the second half of that game, and stormed back to win it outright in regulation. Yes, I did have Louisville plus 30 on the money line as part of my portfolio that day, and boy, did that one sting. But I, I gave out Louisville plus 9 as a doggy juice best bet and was legitimately worried there at the end of the game that it would go to overtime and Duke would cover in overtime because Louisville just completely looked out of sorts as, as soon as Duke went to that full-court um, trap press. But... Uh, nobody, I think, got hit harder than Kelly in Vegas, who will also actually ironically be featured on the Showtime documentary that I mentioned before. Um, check out her Twitter, at Kelly in Vegas, and you'll see the ticket that she posted. She had a three-team underdog Moneyline parlay 
on Penn State, LSU, and Louisville that night, $100 to win $7,668 and some change. The first two legs obviously came through on that earlier in the night when Penn State knocked off Michigan outright and uh, LSU beat Kentucky, that controversial game um, at Kentucky. And then Louisville was up by 23, so Kelly was obviously counting her cash, but then all of a sudden that late collapse and she didn't win any of it. A lot of idiots on Twitter were giving her shit for not hedging, and but I mean, how can you even hedge in that spot? So brutal beat for Kelly in Vegas. <laughs> Locally for Chicago Bulls fans, president of Hoops Operations, John Paxson went on for an interview on local radio 670 The Score last week, and I listened to the entire interview. You can find it online. It's about 24, 25 minutes long. But uh, two big things really stood out that rubbed me the wrong way about Paxson. And I've made it clear for years that I'm not a fan of uh, Paxson and Gar Foreman. And I actually think that they're, they're, they've ruined my favorite team in sports. But two things rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, one, towards the end of the interview, Paxson was really getting defensive. And he compared the Bulls' rebuild to the Bears' rebuild, basically saying like how you can do it really fast. Bro, those are two completely different sports in the NFL. There's, you know, that hard cap. It's a lot easier to rebuild in one to two years. You can see teams turn it around really quickly. I mean, the Bears being the perfect example. But in basketball, it just does not work that way. Completely different game. John Paxson, you're comparing apples to oranges there. Five players, and obviously we know in, in basketball, and stars rule that league, whereas NFL, obviously quarterbacks rule, but uh, you could build a team around the quarterback too. So just terrible comparison there by Paxson. Number two thing that really killed me was towards the end he said that there have only been, he was like defending himself, saying that there have only been two rebuilds throughout his entire tenure as Bulls president. And uh, there's a lot of things that are wrong with that for starters. There should have been more rebuilds, John Paxson, a few years ago when you were stuck in the basketball hell or basketball purgatory, which, you know, are stuck on for quite a while, just getting the eighth seed, just sneaking into the playoffs, but not building for the future. That, uh... That was a time to rebuild, but also you got fucking lucky getting Derrick Rose at the number one pick when you really had no business getting the number one pick, so that should have been another rebuild period, and I mean, yeah, you claimed that you were rebuilding during that D-Rose time, but that uh, you got pretty lucky there, so I think Paxson was grasping at straws there at the end of that interview, and he only indicted himself as unfit to be the leader of my favorite sports organization with that interview. I think it's just he came off as a total clown at the end and basically came out and said that Every time he's doing an interview, it feels like an interrogation. Well, bro, you deserve to be interrogated because you've been at the helm for way too long. And if only fucking Reinsdorf would finally show him the door, which I think we might eventually get soon. But Paxson, it's all on you. So um, that's just me as a Bulls fan. But um, and I'll get off my soapbox there. But that interview was was pretty bad to me. <laughs> Speaking of the NBA, All-Star Game is this weekend. But does anybody really give a shit? I... Do like it a lot more since they changed the format and and basically now they have captains that pick teams instead of just straight up east and west. Uh, and last year the under came through in spades just due to players trying more on defense. Before it was just it's been a joke in recent years and totals were eclipsing 300 points. But last year I think that psychologically the players were actually trying harder on defense. I think it could go down to maybe a subconscious desire to make their captain proud for choosing them to be on their team. There's more of a sense of identity uh, on that team. I mean, you can argue there's a sense of identity east and west, but when a player picks you to be on their team, you're obviously going to try and perform for them, or at least, you know, at least like 10% effort on defense instead of 0%. But I think uh, that could be worth a look this year, but I don't know what the number came out on for the All-Star game. Uh, But it could be worth a watch Sunday. I think uh, it could be 
fun to watch Team LeBron versus Team Giannis. And if you have nothing else going on Sunday night, that'll be at least a little bit entertaining, I think. All right, well, let's go to the top 10 power-rated college basketball teams according to the Doggy Juice model. Doggy Juice Top 10. Doggy Juice Top 10. Doggy Juice Top 10. It should come as no surprise, but number one is Duke. That comeback against Louisville the other night was pretty incredible, and a lot of Joes out there on, on Twitter and uh, social media are saying, oh, they didn't lose that game. They're never going to lose the rest of the year. Do think Duke's going to lose again before the season's done? The question will be, is it before the tournament or after the tournament? I don't know, but this team's really coming along strong. They have by far the most talented team, and uh, power rating-wise, I know a lot of Vegas guys agree, but dating back to the Kentucky team that was uh, minus 110 against the, the field to win the, tr- the title going to the tournament a few years ago. This Duke team is right up there with them as the highest power-rated college basketball team of the past decade. So they're deserving at number one. Number two, Gonzaga. I have not moved them, but Killian Tilly went down with a foot injury last weekend. He wasn't really healthy the whole season to begin with, and it's questionable right now if he's going to come he's definitely not going to come back they said for the regular season but he may come back later in march during the tournament it's hard to say it's not going to matter for gonzaga they're going to be locked in in their easy conference they're going to get their their high seed but this does affect their power rating for me i've heard some guys in vegas move them down to number five number six but i still got them number two i'm trying to adjust this power rating because this gonzaga team was stacked and i really it's it's, it's a shame because i thought that uh, this was their year, truly. They already beat Duke early in the year. Obviously, a different Duke team then, and that was without Killing and Tilly. But um, I think Gonzaga really had the all the pieces together to make this their year. But now with him out, with Tilly out, it's going to be tough. But I, I do like them there in that spot, and they will be at least a one or two seed in the in March Madness. Number three, Virginia. They did lose Duke at home last Saturday, which which was tough. But that team's still very good. Um, obviously, they're number three in my power ratings. Um, there's a little bit of a drop-off uh, moving to the next few numbers, but there's a log jam for me, especially at four, five, and six. Number four, I have Tennessee. They're ranked number one in the country according to the AP poll. poll. Number five, Kentucky, and these two teams play each other, Tennessee and Kentucky, this weekend, so that could go a long way in changing the power rating, but Kentucky's been moving up really fast, and I think that's the case with John Calipari teams past few years. Obviously, he's recruiting the one-and-done guys, but You've seen Calpari teams, and last year included, really come along strong as the year progresses, especially as conference play progresses towards the end of the year and as March approaches. That team just really molds together because they have so much fucking talent. And um, and they, they really learn to play more as a team, and and, uh, and their power rating reflects that. So now they've, you know, they weren't even in my top ten when I first did this. They are right outside of it, but I did note at that time that Kentucky was, was uh, primed to make a, a move up the power ratings. That's what happened. They obviously lost the other night against LSU at home, but LSU's a great team as well, and I think Kentucky's still the real deal. So number five is Kentucky. Number six, North Carolina. And really, Tennessee, Kentucky, and UNC are basically all the tie for me. It's unquestionable that Kentucky and UNC have better talent with much more upside than Tennessee, but I think Tennessee's the better team. And remember, these are power ratings for right now, not in March, not what I expect the teams to be, but if these teams played today, what the power rating would be. Number seven, I have Michigan State. Tom Mizzou team in March. They're going to be, obviously, a force to be reckoned with as well. They're coming along strong. They had a little bit of a hiccup, but but they, uh, they're they turning things around back again. I mean, they're, they're going to be right there. So Michigan State's number seven. 
And then we have another drop-off after four, five, six, seven before we get to the final three teams. And number eight is Michigan, number nine, Purdue, and number 10, Villanova. So that rounds out the top 10 according to the power ratings of the Doggy Juice model right now. As I said, there's it's almost like a tiered system right now. you got those top three teams, then a little log jam there at four, five, six, and then followed by Michigan State, and then those other three. Uh, honorable mentions, there's some teams that are moving up the ranks fast, and I'm not saying that they're right outside the top 10, but they're in the picture, getting close to the picture. But Kansas State, that team has been a force ever since Dean Wade came back. And they've been, I mean, they're, they're going to be right there in the Big 12 this year. They beat Kansas at home in that, that big game. I was on Kansas State in that game and gave them out money line on the uh, Doggy Juice Twitter and Instagram. But um, Kansas State, this team can defend. I think they're well coached. They have scores. Dean Wade can spread the floor. They really have it all. And, and also, let's not forget, they have the experience from last year. They went really deep in March last year, even with a banged-up Dean Wade. Surprised everybody, made that, that deep run. So they have the experience as well. So I think Kansas State, I mean, the market's on to them now. I think any value you're seeing on them is starting to dissipate. They were three-and-a-half-point dogs against Texas the other night. I had them there, and uh, I was kind of surprised by that line a little bit, but I think that line would have been a lot higher just a few weeks ago. And Kansas State right now is just a team that everyone's aware of really turning their power rating around. So it's going to be tough to find value on them moving forward, but they are going to be in the conversation of March for sure. Yeah, baby! Yeah. All right, so time for some college basketball talk. Now that football season is over, I'm going to be doing um, almost exclusively college basketball coverage here on the Doggy Juice Pod for the next two months. We are entering my single favorite time of the year to bet the value on college betting boards that you can find in mid to late February and even in early March around conference tourney time is some of the best value that you can find anywhere in the entire calendar year, in my opinion. The lines do sharpen up a lot during the NCAA tournament, so it just makes sense. There's more action on every game, especially towards the end of March Madness, but in my opinion, there's no better time to bet uh, in March, and the big dance is my single favorite sporting event every year. So as I've alluded to, and I'm going to spend the next several podcasts really delving into this, but college hoops is my favorite sport to handicap, and it's the most profitable sport to bet, and a lot of other professionals agree with me. Unlike betting the pro games, the lines in college hoops, they're very soft at times, and you can find a lot of value by betting early into the market and get plenty of middle opportunities if you want to, especially on totals. But handicapping college hoops is an absolute grind. It's a day-to-day grind. And it's not for the faint of heart. Just due to the sheer volume of plays every day as part of my portfolio, it's basically a complete mathematical certainty that there are going to be some rough stretches over the course of the college hoop season, but also some amazing hot stretches. And the absolute key to finding success over time in betting college hoops is to be in complete control of your bankroll. And I know I keep harping on this and it gets annoying, but I can't stress it enough. That's why 97% of dudes will always lose in sports betting. Sure, it's hard to profit over the long run because you have to hit over 52.38% of your plays just to break even, but it's even that much harder if you're increasing your bet size to make up for a losing streak or raising your bet size disproportionately while you're on a hot streak. It's only the guys who are 100% systematic with their unit size approach who can win this game in the long run. So Take a deep look at yourself, and if you're one of those guys who's losing more than you're winning in sports betting, start first by placing 
all of your emphasis on your bankroll management. You have to be systematic with it, especially in college hoops where the stretches and the grind is day-to-day. If you're not disciplined in this, you're going to find that it's very easy to go broke, um, one of those inevitable bad stretches that that's going to come into play. But if you are systematic and you take your goddamn emotion out of it, then you can withstand the tough stretches and slowly build the bankroll over time. And Of course, that's a lot easier said than done, but it can be done. So how do I handicap college basketball? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough here, but I'm going to peel away the onion over time on this podcast, and I'm going to cover my own personal techniques that I've learned over the years in the next couple of months of podcasts. But it all starts with my base power rating on teams. So when I'm looking at a game, I first look at my power ratings, just like in football, and then I adjust for home court and make other adjustments for the spot, like is it a letdown spot or a look-ahead spot, or is one team coming off too little rest, or is another team coming off too much rest and they're, they're going to be rusty, etc. So if the number I arrive at after factoring all that in is off of the market by a certain amount of points, then I fire away. And for those who are serious about making money betting college hoops, betting college basketball totals is by far the best way to go. Any pro knows this, that college basketball totals are very soft. The market's very soft, very liquid every day. And especially on the less popular games and the, and the you know, smaller conferences, I mean, limits change accordingly, but uh, the market moves uh, so much in the morning when the, the limits do raise on these. So if you can get ahead of it and, and if you get the best number early on, then you have a very nice positive EV bet in your pocket going into the games at night. So it's really interesting, the college basketball betting boards, they a lot of places release the or most places release uh, the lines the day before, the, the opening lines. Those get bet into, but those are lower limits. So sometimes bigger groups and syndicates will wait. I mean, most of the time they'll wait until the limits rise to really play their hand. So you'll see some syndicates or groups even uh, phony up a line. Like Billy Walters was famous for this. He would phony up a line when the limits were smaller, so the books knew it was him betting, so they moved accordingly. And then when the limits raised, he fired back on the other side for a lot more. So you have to look for things like that. That still happens uh, routinely every day almost. And um, and so you really have to pay attention to that. But if you can get down, if you're a guy who's not dealing, don't have to worry about the limits, then betting earlier is absolutely essential. I think you can get the best number. I mean, it's just like uh, it's just like a dinner. You know, you, you put the dinner out there, which is the total, and people are going to feast on it. And uh, you're just going to be left with scraps if you're late to the dinner and you bet the total late. So if you're early to dinner, you can... Uh, get some nice bites in and get that value. That's the best way I can describe it. I just made that up on the spot. It's pretty nice, right? Uh, so in terms of betting totals, it is very complicated, but I'm going to quickly give a little lesson on betting basketball totals that can at least set your baseline because a lot of people often see a number and they immediately react to it without diving in further. And a lot of guys will look at each team's average number of points that they score, or the average number of points that are scored in the game that they're playing in, and for, for each team, then they'll add the two together when they play one another. But that's a huge mistake. So here's a basis to start thinking about betting totals differently with an example. And I'm going to use the NBA as an example, and you'll, you'll see why in a second. Um, but it, it applies just the same. So this is very basic, but if you want to use a team's average scoring total to the total amount of points that are scored in the games they play in to arrive at a better and more indicative total number for the game that they're going to play in, Here's what you do. So you got two teams playing, Team A and Team B. First, you look at Team A's average game scoring total and multiply that by Team B's average game scoring total. And then you divide that by the league average. 
Now, for the NBA, this is a it's a lot more simple to find an accurate league average because there's less teams out there in the NBA. But in college basketball, it's obviously more complicated. You have the entire population of college basketball teams, you know, the 360 plus teams, but obviously they're broken up into into separate leagues. So that's a bit more nuanced. But for simplicity, let's use the NBA and say you multiply Team A's average scoring total by Team B's average average scoring total and divide by the league average. So using the NBA as an example, the Kings, let's say they play an average of 229 total points scored in, in their games. And let's say that the Hawks also have the same number, 229 total points scored in, in their games on average. So your natural reaction to that might be, oh, that's easy. Both teams average 229 points scored per game in the games they play them. So naturally, the total when the Kings play the Hawks should be 229. Not so fast, mate. If the NBA league average is 221 points per game, and you use the formula that I gave you, you multiply 229 by 229, divide that by 221, and what number do you get? 237, not 229. So the 237 is a lot more of an accurate total for that game than the 229 that the average Joe would be inclined to think. So... In, in, in contrast, if you have two lower-scoring teams play one another, let's say they both average 215, there's 215 total points scored on average in the games they play in, then you do 215, let's say 215 for both, just to be simple. 215 times 215, divide that by 211, and you arrive at a lower 209-point projected total in that game. So that's just the beginning, but I think it just gets you to think differently about your totals. And for college hoops handicapping... There's certain statistics that I that I really look at for my formulas. Adjusted tempo is the single most important statistic for totals, and also points per 100. I think points per 100 is a fantastic statistic. But what I really do with totals is dive even deeper by using the, the statistics on the percentage of shots that a team makes from three-pointers and the percentage of shots that a team takes from two-pointers to really isolate things out. And I will dive deeper into that in future podcasts, but... It's uh, it's nuanced and it's complicated betting totals, not that easy. But guys that uh, they can get on top of it and really dive into the stats can find a lot of value, especially at the opening numbers when bookmakers can get lazy. I'm not saying bookmakers get lazy and just you know, they don't use formulas on their own, but you can really find good value if you if you're able to find uh, find numbers and that the average Joe can't find. Um, so for college hoops. Also, I think there's another important topic I want to touch on here. It's discussion on home court not being worth as much in this particular stretch of the season. I know a lot of handicappers change their their models around this time because what you're getting is a lot of conference games where teams are familiar with, with one another and they've already played each other most likely already when the season started. And not only that, but home court is not worth as much in these games. You can make the argument, and data is really starting to suggest this. Um, because you, a lot of these college teams, especially, you know, not every college team has NBA players, obviously, or future NBA stars. So a lot of these guys are juniors, seniors, I mean, even sophomores, and they've been to the opposing team's arena before, and especially some of these smaller conferences where they don't have to travel as much. If they're taking a bus to the game, they're still waking up in their own beds. You have a situation where the home court's like really minimal, like one to two points, maybe, if that. Um, I know some handicappers have even argued, like Alan Boston out there, he, he argues that no home court advantage really applies in some of these instances. So that's a way to really dive into to value instead of just assigning the typical four points of home court in college basketball around this time of year. I think you really got to dive deeper into that 
and look into, you know, if the team is is an older team that's been there a few times and they're not going to be rattled as much. And if they've already played the team earlier in the year, there's a lot of reasons why home court advantage is not worth the typical four points this time. Um, so that's a little taste. I'm going to be diving into uh, my college hoops handicapping process and what I and how I go about doing it in future episodes. I don't want to keep this episode too long here, but hopefully I taught you something there and you can apply it moving forward. All right, so let's close out this episode of the Doggy Juice Podcast with some best bets, as promised at the beginning. And let me preface this by saying that I have a certain range that I'm willing to look at for every single game. Meaning, for example, if a game is uh, lay, I'm willing to lay one point with one team, but take seven points with the other team. Simply put, this goes back to what I've been stressing the entire time throughout all of my podcasts. It's the idea that pros bet teams and Joes bet numbers, as Jimmy Vaccaro said. And this is the absolute truth. Like, for example, think about you know, the Chicago Bulls suck. This is not the best example, but if someone offered you plus 70 on them in a game, of course you'd take it. So the same thing applies to other games. Obviously, it's not as extreme as that, but um, I'm willing to take any team or any total in any given game, uh, depending on what that number is. So as David Malinsky used to always say, if someone asks you who you like in a game, your response to them should always be, what's your line? And when you have that in mind, it really helps set you free because what I'm looking for is just some value. And the whole idea behind winning in sports betting is to chip away at value over time and keep scraping out edges over time and building your bankroll that way. So a lot of these bets that I'm going to give you, if the line moves three or four points on them, that's probably where I have it. So it's don't bet it just because I'm giving out a, a total or a team if the number moves then don't play it at that at that worst number. And if it moves the other way, then you consider playing it for more, but that's more um, bankroll management and unit-based focus. I'm not going to get into all that. But today's best bets, and these numbers should all still be there, um, Hofstra plus one on the road at College of Charleston. I see some place move to pick them on there, but they're on the road at College of Charleston. I also like the under 147 in that one, but you might want to get going on that one quickly because I see that total plummeting in that one right now. Uh, UConn plus nine at home against Memphis. I have this one lined at around plus five and a half. So we're getting a few extra points of value there. So that goes back to my example. If I had this one basically, you know, graded out to, I mean, I don't know the exact one, but basically Memphis, if Memphis was only laying three points or two points, I'd be taking the other side on this one. And UConn at plus nine, um, I, I like them. I think that's too many points. So there's value at that number. Jacksonville State, team total over 71. I think Jacksonville State should cover uh, the 10, but I don't like it as much. At minus 10 on the road especially, not enough to, to really bet it with a full unit. But I also do like the over 132, 132.5 132 here. I, I found some 132 myself. Didn't go full unit on that, but naturally, if I like Jacksonville State a little bit, and if I like the over, the Jacksonville State team total over 71 is a very nice fit. Um, Utah... Team total under 73.5. Likewise, the under is, is close to showing for me in this one, in this game. And I have the game lined closer to Utah, minus 1.5, minus 2. So uh, the line's it's around 3 right now. So naturally, I like the Utah team total under at anything at 73 or better in that game. Some totals that show for me on the card today, Portland State, Northern Arizona under 151.5, and Nebraska-Omaha versus South Dakota State under 165 and a half. And finally, some other ones. This is some value. Cal Poly 
Cal Poly slow, plus 14 in Hawaii. I think that game should be lined about plus 10, plus 10 and a half. We're getting some value there. And Santa Clara and Idaho. Santa Clara plus 11 and Idaho plus 14 is ugly home dogs. These ones don't like, you know, it's close to showing for a full unit for me, but, you know, it's hard to grin and bear it with those those home underdogs, but those do show for me today as well. So keep all that in mind when you're making your bets, and there really is no such thing as a lock. It really depends on what the number is, and I'm, I'm trying to instill that to you, my listeners, as you move forward. It's a lot easier said than done winning in sports betting and finding the right numbers, but hopefully I've helped you uh, find some value today on the podcast. I'll be back next week with some more college basketball talk, but also a preview of the Oscars. My my best friend lives in Los Angeles, and he's worked in Hollywood for the past nine years. Hopefully I can bring him on next week to check the polls out there, see if we can find any value on the board for the Oscars, because... Money prints the same, no matter what you're betting on. So if people are judging you for betting on the Oscars, you can just flash your cash with them. Uh, We'll be looking at value on the Oscars board next week. And one more thing before I go, Buddy Heald to win the three-point contest this weekend at NBA All-Star Weekend at 6-1 to or better. I really think there's good value there. So go ahead and take that one, baby. Buddy. All righty, that'll do it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod. It's good to be back after a little one-week break. Looking forward to the games this weekend. Good luck with your bets, and I'll talk to you next week. Doggy Juice out.